Today we close with this text of Romans that will teach us how a gospel church, gospel-shaped church looks like. So I, I invite you, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 12. And uh, we are going just to read two verses of this um, chapter. Um, chapter two, 12 of the book of Romans has been one of the most preached preached chapters in the entire Christian world. And it's considered like a linking chapter, a hinge between the good news of the gospel that Paul taught in the first 11 chapters and the, news, uh, the, the new way to live the gospel as a believer and as a church. So we have this chapter, and when you read this chapter, just think about a hinge. Where Paul, which is a pattern that he used every time he writes a letter, he wrote a letter. In the first chapter, always he just brings the theology, doctrines, the gospel as a foundation to respond in a practical ways. In a practical and gospel-centered ways to, let, to live our lives. And as I said, I, a lot has been written about these verses. And it's because the union that Paul does between... Uh, chapter 1 to 11, and the then he changed the direction that gives the reader towards a practical life of the gospel from transformation produced by the renewal of our minds. So read with me verse 1 and 2, and in, then from these verses, we we're going to uh, take, we're going to unpack four marks, not nine marks, but four marks <laughs> of... Uh, Church shaped by the gospel. Read with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So from these verses and the next four or five verses, Paul is inviting the church to live according to the news, the good news of the gospel that he taught in the previous 11 chapters. When we read these verses, the idea that Paul conveys is this living the gospel, how the church is invited to live the gospel, is the, the logical result of understanding the mercies of God while God continues to transform the believers and the church through a constant renewal of the mind. So as I told you, I want to just show you through this text four marks of a gospel-shaped church. And I will give you four R's so you can remember. Four R's. Remember the gospel continually, the first R. Respond with a life of worship, second R. Renew your mind with, the God, with God's word, third R. And recognize God's will. Recognize God's will. So the first mark is remember the gospel continuously. When you read the very first line, it says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If you notice, there is a connection 
between the previous chapters and these lines where Paul is, one, is, is willing to, to draw people's attention to the now, the way they're going to live. But if you notice, there's a word that is key here, bro, the word is brothers. He's speaking to a church, a church that in that time he, ha he didn't have the opportunity to go and visit, the church in Rome. So he's referring to the church and he calls them brothers because only brothers can respond to the gospel once, once they have received and understood and responded to the new goods of the gospel. He calls them brothers because there is this relation, a spiritual relationship. But it's not just one brother, it's the community of believers. We are talking about the church. So every mark that applied to the church applied to you. When we talk about four marks, we are not talking about this building. Mark that people might identify if they see outside of the building. We are talking about each single member of First Urban in Dallas, Texas. I was about to say First Urban in Espanol, but it's the same thing. But it's evident that Paul is connecting this Verses with something that they may know already. So he knows that from an individual scope that will be displayed in the community of believers and sisters among the church. So Paul now makes his plea based on the good news of the gospel that he has taught. And he says, by the mercies of that you know already. The question is what mercies Paul is referring to. What mercies Paul is referring to. Well, buckle up and let's go through this 11 verses, uh, chapter very quick. Pastor Wayne, be ready. This week, well, Pastor Blair to receive some complaint about timing. Let's go through this 11 chapter. And let me highlight. There's so many things that we can quote from chapter 1 to 11. To 11. But let me highlight some. In chapter 1, Paul reminds us that the gospel has the power to save. Has the power to save the lost. He says in verse 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone. Have you thought about someone that you think God cannot save this person or that person. No, no, no. He can save throughout the gospel everyone who believes. The Jewish first, also the Greek, Gentiles as us. And verse 17 says, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Chapter 2, he talks about the judgment of God is what we deserved because we have sinned against a holy, holy, holy God. In verse 2, it says, chapter 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And now, remember, he's building up something. He wants the church to know that they deserve condemnation because they sinned against God. It's like anyone who here in this room that didn't have a personal relationship with God. Let me tell you, this is what you deserved. Why? You may say, I'm good. No, chapter 3 said that you are not good, so keep reading. Chapter 3 says, man cannot see God. He says in verse 10, as it's written, none is righteous. See? If you thought that you were God, you, you were good, you were not. No one. No one understands. No one sees God. 
seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So when you compare yourself probably with the um, thief or anyone who's in jail, you, of course you look like more righteous. When you compare with Jesus himself, you fall short. That's what it says verse 23 in chapter 3. For all have seen and fall short of the glory of God. In chapter 4, he reminds us that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. And the mercies of God came throughout Jesus Christ. The good news came through Jesus Christ, verse 25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And now Jesus is the venue, is the, is the way to be declared righteous. It's a mercy of God because we didn't deserve it. In chapter 5, verse 1, we find the good news that we have been justified by faith, not by works. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says that for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What a good news, brothers and sisters. What a wonderful mercy. In chapter 6, Paul tells us about the good news of our union with Christ and the freedom of sin. We are not a slave of sin anymore. In chapter 7, the good news that we had died to the law that we were bound to. In chapter 8, the good news that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, his children. Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Is that good news, isn't it? If you're here and you are children of, of God, then you know that there is no condemnation for you. That you have been declared justified by Jesus, by faith alone. Chapter 10, Paul gives us the good news that my salvation is guaranteed. He says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a good news. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are visiting today, if you have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is a, such a good day to do it. To know that you are deaf in your sins and trespasses. And you deserve condemnation, eternal condemnation. But God, in his mercies, sent his son. So now you can be declared justified by him when you know that he is the only way to be saved. And your only Lord to be submitted to. So chapter 12, chapter 11 he says that the good news that we are saved for his glory. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And now he's saying to us today, and Paul told the church in Romans, keep in mind that mercy. Church, keep in that. Remember those mercies every day. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget his mercies. Continually remember the gospel. Is the gospel that saved you? Is the gospel that also sustained you? His mercies now move our hearts towards 
him. Understanding his mercy reminds us how great he is and how much we need him. Can you see it? Can you see it? We must continue to remember this mercy that we have received as a Christians, as a church. This, this good news needs, this good news help us see the direction we ought to take. Brothers and sisters, do you remember the mercy of God continually? This is my exhortation, a study his mercy. Study his gospel, sing his mercies, proclaim his mercies, marinate yourself daily in his mercies, be sustained by his mercy, so you may live according to his mercy. And that's the second mark. The second mark for a gospel-shaped church is that it also responds with a life of worship. Now just remember the mercy and the gospel continually, but also it responds with a life of worship. Continue to read in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What, Paul? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Is your through and proper spiritual worship. And I don't, I'm going to get in trouble now. Let me tell you this. Sometimes we believe that music is so inseparable from worship. That is critical what style of music you use. And if you don't use the right music and you somehow limit their worship, if the tune isn't contemporary, if the tune isn't familiar, if the arrangement isn't what we should be interested in, a given group of people, they won't be able to worship. And sometimes we assume that music is the origin and source of worship. But from the bottom of my heart, let me clarify that music can't produce worship. Music can't produce worship. How do you know? Because music is not the origin of worship. We don't need music to worship. Don't get me wrong. But if you look around the world, you will see hundreds of missionary worshiping God. You will see hundreds of churches Worshipping God. You will see hundreds, millions, tons of Christians worshipping God without one single guitar. And the text inform us about where a spiritual worship finds its origin and purpose. The origin of our spiritual worship is found in God himself. In his mercy. And actually, it's our through and proper response to respond to the mercy of God. And second, and very important, the spiritual worship is displayed in our lifestyle. You may agree with me or not, but you, my office is open to continue this conversation. <laughs> but read with me the text. And let the text speak to our hearts. I appeal to you, brothers... 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Can you see it? Now, the language that Paul is using definitely is the language that we found in the Old Testament. It's the language of ritual offering. It's the language of the ceremony. It's the system of animal sacrifice that came to the end in the cross. And Paul is using the language of the priesthood as well. Of the priests who did the sacrifices according to Leviticus. And the intention in the Old Testament, in the offering of a sacrifice, was not just for the dead animal to be offered instead of a living soul before a dead animal to be offered as an external symbol of the offering of the heart and soul. That's why. Let me just use the scripture. First Samuel, Old Testament, chapter 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obey, obeying the voice of the Lord? The Old Testament is saying that Church family, that obedience is better than sacrifices. We are now priests who offer another kind of sacrifice through the work of Christ, the spiritual sacrifices. And that's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, the church. To be a holy priesthood, to offer a spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The same language, this is the spiritual sacrifice that our through and proper worship, this is the sacrifice we do. The way we live, the way we continually live displays the mercy of God upon us so now we and others can worship God. This is our worship. This is our praise that you present your body as a living and holy a sacrifice acceptable to God. That's your rational worship. That's the way you should respond. The worship service is not just about coming here and lifting up a worship to God. It's about worshiping God as a lifestyle. Outside, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The word sacrifice in this context means continual dedication. So my response should be a mindful response because I know the mercy of God. Should be a personal response because I can't do it. I can I can force others to do it. It's a voluntary response. It's a logical response. It's a sacrificial response, and it's a lifestyle response. Brothers and sisters, in a gospel-shaped church, its member respond with a life of worship. Music is important, so don't get mad with me. But the source of worship is other. It's God himself and the expression of his mercy upon his members, upon his people, upon his church. How does this look like? Well, the man, a woman, 
that didn't, in, in, in their workplace, they intentionally bring the gospel. A wife who has decided to embrace God's design for her prioritizing her home, husband, and children. The husband who has decided to be faithful to his wife and love her as well as Christ, giving up all relationship outside of his marriage and leaving behind pornography. The girlfriend and boyfriend who have decided to wait until marriage and present their bodies and desires to God. The young man, young woman who struggle with same-sex same attraction and have decided to embrace their design and not to follow their deceitful heart nor the influence of this generation. The single young woman who would rather wait for God's time than start a relationship with a non-believer's. With an unbeliever. The family that had decided to leave their comfort of their home to answer the call to missions. The entrepreneur who wants to honor God by treating his employees fairly, paying fairly, and paying taxes. The young man who decided to forgive his father who abandoned him and his family. The lady who decided to forgive her husband or her husband who decided to forgive her wife for having an affair. It's a logical response. It's a reasonable and fair answer. Why, brothers and sisters? Because the mercy of God that we have received are greater than any sin we have committed against others. So a gospel-shaped church remembers the mercy of God continually. It's a church that responds with a life of worship. Does your life display the work of God in you? Not just today, Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Third, the third mark is a church that renews its mind with God's word. Read verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Shape by the word and not adapt, adapted to this world. It's a church that is not shaped by the worldview of this generation. And the word do not be conformed is the, in, in original meaning means that take a similar form, conform to the same pattern, conform mold at a determined rate. And the apostle is not the only one who warns the warns us regarding this relationship between Christians and the world. James does it, John does it, and that Jesus himself did it. James 4.4, you adulterers, people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15, do not live, do not love the world. Of the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Keep that in mind. Whoever who does the will of God, highlight that. And Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before I hate, it hated you. If you were from the world, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What's the problem, church? Ah, church. That we care more about what the world thinks of us. That we can, we sometimes want to do things according to the world. We take decisions according to the world. Uh, our worldview is shaped by this worldview, this generation. And we want the church to be in the same track with a worldview, with a worldview um, understanding. But as a result, then we will not have a transformation of our minds. Unfortunately, we see many churches and Christians that, that look more like the rest of the world than Christians. Actually, there was a, a guy who made an interview to a couple of college students, non-believers, atheists, some of them. And they asked them about their Christian friends. And uh, they, they said, the difference between us and my Christian friends is that they live the same life as us, commit the same sins as us, but their sins are forgiven according to them. There is no distinction. But Paul is saying, be transformed, metamorphosis, metamorphosis, metamorphosis. It's a manifestation of our outward appearance or expression, like a manifestation of, of a change in our, in our interior. It means transfigurate. The same word that you find in Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured, metamorphosized, I don't know how to say the Greek and English together, I'm sorry, but you get the idea. Jesus was metamorphosed, metamorphosed. His external appearance was made exactly like his interior. And Paul is using the same word to tell the church, do not be conformed, but transform, metamorphosize, metamorpho. Now you know Greek, English, and Spanish all together. <laughs> but there is a clear contrast, okay, between do not be conformed and be transformed. There is a clear contrast. It's a negative and positive. And every time you see a negative and positive, in Paul's letter, Paul is trying to highlight the positive. Okay? So it's an irreversible, irreversible change. And think of the change of a caterpillar that undergoes when it transforms into a butterfly. There is no way that this butterfly can become. It's the same word. It's the same idea. We can't... Um, just be like, a, I don't know the name in English, but it's this reptile that just change according to the environment. If it's green, he takes the color green. If he's brown, he takes the colors brown. And the name in biology is mimetism, mimetism. It's like he can change. We are not in that way. We are called to be metamorphosized, metamorphic. So Paul is saying, do not... Imitate the custom of this word. But God is so good that this word transform is passive, which means that it receives the action. Which means that God is saying that do not imitate the custom of this word. Rather, let God transform you. You can't produce that by yourself. You need the assistance of God. And what was the means of grace that God provided for his church and Christian in order to be transformed? His word. 
He says, by renewing your mind. Okay. Another question to the text. How do I renew my mind? What is the key element to be renewed? Well, we know through the scripture, and thank you, thanks God we have the Bible. The Bible interpret, inter, interpret the Bible. So Hebrew chapter 4, 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. When you see Jesus praying in, in John 17, 17, he says, Father, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. And then in Colossians, I invite you to not miss any single Sunday. But in Colossians in chapter 3, we see that Paul again is telling this congregation that they need to put on the new self, which is renew in knowledge. And then in verse 16 of the same chapter 3, he says that that word of Christ may what? Dwell in you richly. So there is no way that we can renew our mind and being transformed if we are not exposed and immersed in God's word continually. God, the same word that said, be the light, is the same word that we have today to be transformed and shaped. And our worldview will not be anymore according to this world, but according to God's will. The renewal, the renewed mind is a mind that is saturated, controlled, and has submitted to the authority of the word of God. And I don't know if you can see the logic behind, church family, when our mind is renewed, our way of thinking is renewed. Our worldview is renewed to walk in a way that honors God, to walk according to God's will. It's my, it's my mind. I don't say it again. It's if my mind is renewed, my way of thinking is transformed. And if my way of thinking is transformed, my way of living is shaped according to God's word. Therefore, I'm doing his will. And that's take us to the last and final point. What I need to be, what is so important to renew our minds. Because the Christians that belongs to a church shaped by the gospel, remembers the mercy of God, is a church that responds with a life of worship, is a church that renews its mind with the word, and finally, is a church that recognized, recognizes the will of God and submitted to it. Final portion of verse 2. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hmm. Probably, probably, I spoke in Spanish, I'm sorry. Probably, you are wondering, what's the God's will for my life? Hmm. I may ask you if you have been renewed with his word, if you have been transformed, if you know his mercies and the gospel. Because as a result of the renewed mind, the believers will know what God desires for his life and will live according to his will. So the purpose of all of this is a... It's not just a transformation, but also to discern God's will. To respond according, according to his will. 
And I don't know if you can see it, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he chose us. You can be a believer that live according and conform to this world. Or you can be a believer that live and according to God's will. You, we could be a church that pursue the value of this generation and world and pursue to please this generation and world. Or we are a church that pursue to please God above anything, anyone. I don't know if you can see it. But that by testing, by what? By the renewal of your mind, testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good. What is acceptable and perfect. And let me clarify something. Remember, God's standard of perfection is not our standard of perfection. So sometimes you will see things in your life that doesn't look perfect at all. That doesn't look good at all. That doesn't look acceptable at God. But remember, it's not your will. It's God's will. Okay? So the judge got perfection or goodness According to your own standard, God is God. He rules. His sovereignty, he does whatever pleases him for his glory. And now, this is why, this is what new mind, what, that's what is so important. The believer can, once his mind is renewed by his word, now believers is able to judge, to evaluate what is holy, what is good, what is acceptable, what is not. So the main idea is that there is a renewed mind capable now to discover God's will and live according to it. And live according to it. What is so important? What is so important to know God's will? It is a chain not to know God's will. Ephesians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, church. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's our duty to pursue, to understand intentionally Understand God's will, not according to this world, but according to his word. Knowing the will of God serves as a path and guide to every situation in the life of the church. Knowing the will of God has an impact on worship and communion with God himself. Knowing God's will, knowing the will of God will guarantee that we are obeying and doing church in a way that pleases him. Knowing the will of God will teach us as a church to give priority to what God gives priority to. Knowing the will of God will help us to pray according to his plans and designs. And you can add and add and add. Paul is saying, and let me just wrap up the whole thing. Do not follow the pattern of this world. Rather, let God transform you into a new people by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The church, it's not enough to know God's will. Our calling is to obey it. It's to do it. Isn't it? Because you can know it. You can have it here. But if it doesn't, if your life doesn't display that you are living according to God's will, then you are not worshiping God. That's a critical thing. 
is our response. It's a logical response because we understood, we know, we are saturated of the gospel that not just saved me, but also transformed me, sanctified me, enabled me to live according to his will, give me the hope for this life and eternal life, and the way I immerse myself and my mind to those truths, then I will know God's will better, and I will live according to his will. Actually, that's what Mark says in chapter 3, 35. For whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister. So Paul, in the next chapters, and we don't have time. I know you're happy. In the next four chapters, then Paul gives us an idea how practical exhortations. And you have a homework to do this week. Just read chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, and find all the exhortation that he's given us as a believers, but also as a community of believers. I will give you some from chapter, four, chapter 12. The first, verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly that he ought to think, but to think with the sober judgment. How do you get the sober judgment? Through the renewal of your mind. Also in verse 9 and 10, he says that the church and believer should display that genuine love. Genuine love. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. How do you know what is good, what is evil? By the renewing of your mind. By being immersed in God's word. Love one another with brotherly affection. Or do one another in showing honor. You see, this is a community thing. This is not just individual thing, but it's expressed. It's individual that has expression in our community of believers. Chapter 11 and 12. Serve each other. Pray for each other. Rejoice with each other. Be fervent in the spirit, chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 11. Be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in praying, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do you see? A church shaped by the gospel is a church that displays its understanding of God's will and the mercy of God that has been recipient of United by humility, verse 16, chapter 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be hoary, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Humility. Do we need humility? Of course we need it. But it's a respond. This is our, this is our worship expression. This is the way we should live. And finally, there's so many things. Live peacefully with all. Verse 18, chapter 12. The same chapter. It's a transition. If it's possible so far, as it depends on you. Of course it depends on you. If it depends on you, what should you do? Live peaceable with all. There is much more. But we need to remind this. Remember the mercy of God. Don't forget. Go back again and again every single day. Preach the gospel to yourself. 
Don't forget that. Respond with a life of worship. Consider the way you are treating each other. Consider the way you are expressing your love and affections and patience to each other. Renew your mind with the word and know or recognize and know and obey God's will. When we speak about this mark for a gospel-shaped church, we are not referring to a building. I want to just highlight that again. Those marks should be visible in your life and the life of each first Urban member. Just to wrap up, are you remembering the mercy of God? Are you living a life of worship? Are you renewing your mind with God's word? Do you know God's will? Do you obey God's will? Do you submit to God's will? Are you feeding your mind with God, with his word? What is shaping your mind? The news? The newspaper? His word? Do you spend as much time in the word of God as you do in the affairs of the world? Are your decisions guided by God's word? Or by your own decision, your own wisdom. Brothers and sisters, I don't know you, but I need God. I need God to respond with a life of worship. If you are visiting today, you heard about the mercy of God. You heard about it. The mercy of God and the grace of God is given to you, but it costs, it's given to you freely, but it costs the life of Jesus Christ. And He's calling you to repent because if you don't, you know what? There is a place for you to spend your eternity. It's called hell. Where the wrath of God is going to be upon you. Therefore, today is a good day to run to the mercies of God through Jesus Christ. Knowing that you are a sinner and only Jesus is the Savior and Lord that can take you apart from that condemnation. Run to Jesus. Remember the mercies of God, church. Respond. With your life. Okay? Renew your mind and recognize God's will and submit it to it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your reminder. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement we receive from it and the exhortation that we receive from it. And give us heart to obey. Give us the humility to submit it to it. Brother, and shape our minds, shape our church, shape us with the gospel so we can be a gospel church, Christ-centered, scripture-saturated, Holy Spirit-filled that live for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.